Hello, we're back with another School of Surgery podcast in our Paediatric Surgical Series and today we're going to be going through one of the key aspects of management which is IV fluid management. So we've got myself, David Kiley, one of the surgical trainees at Nottingham and we've got Mr Singh, one of our consultants. Thank you David. What we'll be doing today is just hopefully giving a bit more clarity to an area which causes a lot of concern. So it will be IV fluid management, so we'll be going through how to manage this, how to assess the child initially and all the sort of fluids that you should give and pick up on some salient points along the way. So first of all, Mr. Singh, can you tell us a bit about what are the main sort of considerations you want to um, have when prescribing fluids for children? Thank you, David. Whenever you are prescribing a child or an adult with any fluid issues, you divide those issues into three categories. One is deficit or pre-existing losses. The second is ongoing losses. And third is the maintenance fluid. Coming back to deficit or pre-existing losses, that is what I call past. That is what has happened to that patient or the child before they came to your attention. Ongoing losses is issue is present. This is what is happening right in front of your eyes under your care. The losses are happening because you're not a magician who's going to stop them and you have to take care of those losses. And the third is the maintenance fluid because if you're dealing with a patient who is sick, you're not going to feed that patient because that patient may require a general anesthesia or he may vomit and aspirate or he's sick enough and you're going to give that person some fluid and that is called maintenance fluid or in other words, future. So the main issue is to decide how much fluid to give in deficit, in ongoing losses and maintenance. And the second question is what fluid to give in all of these three categories. In other words, what fluid to give in deficit, what fluid to give in ongoing losses and what fluid to give in maintenance. And once you have the answers to that, you can confidently do any fluid and electrolyte management in any age group. Perfect. So let's kick off with deficit. How would you how would you figure out the deficit in a child that presents to you? Before you deal with the deficit, you first need to know how much is the deficit. Now, the simplest classification is that you could be mildly dehydrated, moderately dehydrated, or severely dehydrated. And by severe dehydration, I mean shock. So how do you distinguish? There are many signs which can help you, but my main fundamental on this is that if you have only mild symptoms and mild signs, then you are mildly dehydrated. If you have significant, easily obtainable symptoms as well as signs, you are moderately dehydrated. But if you only have signs and you don't have symptoms, that means you are severely dehydrated or you are in shock. In other words, people in shock do not complain. So once you have decided whether somebody is mild, moderate and severe, then you can start calculating the fluid. Now, in case of children less than five years of age, if you're mildly dehydrated, that means you have lost 5% of your body weight and you need 50 ml per kg of fluid to cover that deficit. In a child less than five year old, if you are moderately dehydrated, 
that means you have lost 10% of your body weight and you need 100 mils per kg of fluid to cover that deficit. And if you are severely dehydrated or you are in a shock, you have lost 15% of your body weight and you need 150 ml per kg of fluid to cover that deficit. Now, we have to remember that these mild, moderate and severe, they are at the end of the day a subjective criteria. They are not objective. But as far as you are not wrong by more than one deviation away from the criteria. In other words, a doctor A thought that the child is moderately dehydrated and the doctor B thought that the child is severely dehydrated. That is perfectly fine because this fluid formulas are only as a guide to the beginning. But if the two doctors differ in opinion by two degrees, in other words, Dr. A thought the child is mildly dehydrated and Dr. B thought the child is in shock, then there is a problem and that should not happen. Fine. And just for completeness sake, you're talking about there being signs that you need to pick up on. What would the classic things that you'd want to look for be in these children? I mean, there are plenty of signs, but I think the one of the signs which is very important in children is capillary refill. You press in the sternal area for five seconds and then you release the finger. And if it is less than two seconds, that is fine. And if it is more than two seconds, that is abnormal. That is a very, very important sign. The other thing to remember in children is that when they have lost the fluid, they have what we call diastolic hypertension. Their diastolic pressure goes up. And this sign is more important in children than the tachycardia because children can have tachycardia from many other causes besides fluid loss because it could be because of pain, because of hypothermia, because of crying. But looking for a diastolic hypertension, not hypotension, is a sign. And the other thing which you have to remember is that the children lose 40% of their blood volume before they have a fall of the systolic blood pressure. So in other words, if the child has a normal systolic blood pressure, it should not reassure you because that child could have lost up to 30 to 40% of the blood volume and still maintain that pressure. And that's just a representation of systemic vasoconstriction, basically a sympathetic response essentially, isn't it? Absolutely, because they don't have the diseased arteries and arterioles and finer vessels as compared to the adults. So they can you know, have a very good response from vasoconstriction. Right, and that's one of the things in APLS that they teach in particular, that that's more sort of a peri-arrest event when the blood pressure drops off and the child becomes very tachycardic, that you need to be very concerned that things are very awry, basically. Absolutely. In that situation. Absolutely right. So that is why I say a systolic blood pressure being normal should never reassure you when you are dealing with a child with a fluid and electrolyte losses. So what you should be worried is a diastolic pressure and what you are looking is a diastolic hypertension. In other words, the pulse pressure is becoming smaller and pulse pressure is the difference between the systolic and diastolic pressure. Fine. So and you're saying just to summarize a bit there, you're saying 5, 10, 15 for mild, moderate and severe. So that's 5%, 10%, 15% Absolutely. deficit of fluid. And that would be if they're less than five years old. And if they're more than that, then you'd be looking at more sort of three to 5%, six to nine, and then uh, more than 10%. You're absolutely that'd right. that would be through an adults, just because they have a higher proportion of fluid. Yes. Um, in yes. Their, as a sort of composition. Yes. Okay, so good, we covered that well. And we'll go on to the uh, fluid that you want to replace it with in a minute. 
just after we cover ongoing losses. So what would this be? Ongoing losses is the losses which are happening in front of you. The first thing before I start with the ongoing losses is I just want to make it clear that urine output is not an ongoing loss. So if you take urine output as an ongoing loss, you'll be playing a very dangerous game and you will fluid overload the person because if you keep on replacing their urine with the more and more fluid, they will keep on producing more and more urine. So that is one point. Second thing is that the, as far as the mathematics and the calculation is concerned, this is the simplest category out of the deficit ongoing losses and maintenance because all you have to say is mill by mill replacement. But the main problem is that you have to be very clear and very precise in this request. For example, if I want all the nasogastric losses to be replaced, I should be writing a request. I won't call it an order, but a request saying that kindly replace all the nasogastric aspirate mill by mill on a six hourly basis. In other words, all I'm requesting is that that nurse goes and measures the nasogastric loss after every six hours and then adds that quantity to the maintenance fluid for the next six hours. So that is where you have to be very precise. Right, and this is obviously an important category for surgery in particular because you have a lot of children with NG tubes. So for example, if they're prior to, prior to the having their surgery for uh, pyloric stenosis, then you need to obviously replace all their NG losses mill for mill and also if a child's had an ileostomy formed, then you need to make sure that they're, if they have a very high output ileostomy, that you're replacing all the losses and you're not creating too much of a deficit and electrolyte imbalances um, as a result of sort of negligence, basically. Okay? You're so, absolutely right. Perfect. So lastly, you were saying there's maintenance fluid as well. So are you able to talk us through this? Yeah. Now, maintenance fluid is something which I would like you to remember for life this is called 4 is to 2 is to 1 formula and I'll explain it to you. So the first 10 kilogram of a child's weight gets a fluid of 4 ml per kg per hour as a maintenance. Any weight of the child which falls into the category of 10 to 20 kilogram gets an additional 2 mils per kg per hour of the maintenance fluid and any weight of the child which is over and above the 20 ml sorry 20 kilogram gets an additional maintenance fluid of 1 mil per kg per hour so let's do a calculation let's say you have a 25 kilogram child so where does the first 10 kilogram of this weight falls it falls into the first category and that 10 kilogram of weight requires a maintenance of 4 mil per kg per hour in other words that 10 kilogram requires 40 ml of fluid per hour. The next 10 kilogram of that 25 kilogram falls into the second category which requires maintenance of 2 ml per kg per hour. In other words, that 20 kilo, 10 kilogram of weight which falls between 10 to 20 kilograms receives an additional 20 ml of fluid per hour. Now the last 5 kilogram of the weight falls into the category above 20 kilogram which requires a maintenance fluid of 1 mil per kg per hour and that 5 kilogram will require a 5 ml of fluid over and above what we have calculated. So the first category overall gets 40 ml per hour, second category gets 20 ml per hour, third category of the weight gets 5 ml per hour. So overall this child will get 65 ml of fluid per hour. So this 4 is to 2 is to 1 
is a very important concept and if you remember that concept you will never be afraid writing a flute for any child irrespective of their obesity overweightness or their height because you are very confident that you know this 4 is to 2 is to 1 formula and just to be clear it pretty much equates to the rule that you give 100 mils for the first 10 10 kg over the course of a day and then 50 for the second 20 kg and then 10 mils for every i mean uh, 20 mils for every uh, kilogram after that because obviously 4 by 24 is 96 2 by 24 48 and 1 by 24 um, is 24 so it's pretty similar and it's just an easier way in your head of working out how much to give you are absolutely right because the nurses like to receive the instruction of how much fluid to give in mils per hour and this calculates 4 is to 1 uh, 4 is to 2 is to 1 in a very straight way but it comes to the same thing which you talked earlier thank you for listening to another podcast brought to you by school of surgery remember you can follow us on facebook at school of surgery on itunes on podomatic at schoolofsurgery.podomatic.com and finally by searching School of Surgery on YouTube. Thank you very much and see you next time.